the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. One of the areas of your life that you're going to need to learn to reset is in the area of your relationships. Because relationships, while they're the most fulfilling dimension of life, they also can be the most challenging part of life. And God made every one of us for relationships. God said it's not good for man to be alone, but we're built for relationship with God and with other people. But these relationships don't always work as well as we'd like them to because we're not very good at them. In fact, the reality is all of us are sinful people and we're broken people and dysfunctional people. We bring our own pain. We bring our own past experiences into our relationships. And before long, our relationships are suffering from all that kind of baggage. And so you have to learn how to reset them. How do you deal with a relationship that is getting off course? What do you do? How do you handle it? When do you hit that reset button? How do you hit the reset button? And I'm going to share with you today some important principles about really how to do this. Actually, one main theme that I want to share with you today that uh, we'll break apart into several subcategories about how you actually get involved in the process of resetting relationships. But here's the one principle that I want to leave with you today. The principle is this. You need to know God's requirements for your relationships. You'll never reset them unless you know what God's requirements for them are. What are God's relationship rules? Because that's the reset button. When you veered off course, you have to say, okay, what does God, how does God want me to relate to the people in my world? And I'm going to go back to the instructions that God gave. That's the reset that we hit in life. But you can't hit the button if you don't know what that button is. So I'm going to take a few moments and talk about a general application of this. Then we'll look at some specific areas of how it relates in our lives. I want to start by taking you to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And I want you to see how God wants you to treat everybody. This is the big reset, okay? Before I talk about Luke chapter 10, I want to give you a little bit of the setting of Luke chapter 10. Jesus is talking to a a teacher of the law. He's talking to a man who is very well educated. He ends up in a dialogue with him. And this whole passage ends up giving us the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. Any of you remember the story of the Good Samaritan in the Bible? Okay. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he, this is this expert in the law, wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, he was not really sincerely asking this question. He was posing this question uh, to try to sort of wiggle his way around the thing that Jesus was teaching. In reply, Jesus said, and here's the story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's what we looked at a moment ago. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So here's this guy heading down the journey, Jewish man, beaten up, 
left for half dead by the side of the road. Now note, note what happens next. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A priest would have been someone that had served in the temple in Jerusalem. So for some reason, this priest was passing through down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he sees this man who is half dead by the roadside, and the Bible says that he goes to the other side of the road. This is an intentional avoidance. Intentional avoidance of someone in need. Okay, So he says, I'm not going to spend any of my time, any of my effort. I'm not going to do anything for this guy. So he intentionally avoids the guy who is in trouble. Note the next statement. So to a Levite. A Levite would have been the priest assistant serving in the temple as well. Both of these men should have known the law and known the God of love. But the Bible says that so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, what did he do? He passed where? On the other side. So both of these men avoided an opportunity to be a blessing. It's important to note, they avoided an opportunity to show compassion. They avoided an opportunity to be a blessing. They avoided an opportunity to get involved and do something for somebody that they had the ability to actually help. So they're living in an attitude of and actions of avoidance of relationship responsibilities. Now, the story says in verse 33, But a Samaritan, which by the way is a very important word there because it signifies a difference between the Jews and the Samaritans, which during that day there was a lot of tension that existed between these two groups. To be a Samaritan, you lived north of Judea and you were considered to be sort of neither nor anything. And so there was a lot of tension that existed between the Jews, the Samaritans, the Samaritans and the Jews. In fact, if you were a Jew, you would not even travel through Samaria because you felt that they were unclean people. But here is the Samaritan, and again, the man who is by the wayside, by the roadside, is a Jew. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which would have been two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of that? Jesus asked the man the question who had asked him a question, who is my neighbor? Now Jesus throws the question back to him. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, read together with me, all campuses, go and do likewise. What's this story? The story is of two men who avoided being a blessing, avoided being a help to someone who is in need, and one man who approached, okay? So it's avoidance and approach. Well, this is about two people avoided, one man approached, the principle being, who is your neighbor? What are you to do in relationships? How do you reset and understand your responsibility when it comes to the neighbors in your life? Anyone that you encounter that has a need that God has put in your pathway that you have the capacity or the opportunity to help. Now, in these areas... When it comes to just relationships, okay, that's the general principle. But I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper and go into some of the specific relationships that we have in life. And what does God say? What are God's instructions? What are God's relationship rules for six specific areas of relationship? And let's talk about them together. The first one is that God has specific relationship rules for families, okay? 
Families are the basic building block of society, and families are the basic building block of the church. God loves families. If you don't believe that, read through the Bible. It's all about families, families, families. God cares about families. Again, because families, the basic building block of our society, families, the basic building block of the church, and marriage is the basic building block of the family. Okay? Children are not the basic building block of the family. Marriage is the basic building block of the family and the family of the world and the church. And so when God begins to talk to us about our family issues, he starts really with marriage issues. He always goes to the marriage issues first. Because you have a strong marriage, you get a strong family. The stronger your marriage, the stronger your family. And so there's the relationship, the connection. And notice what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, as he's describing for us our relationship rules as husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And all of you men here today, I want to encourage you to circle the word or the phrase, love your wives. Would you circle that? Now, women, you can't reach over and circle it for them. Love. The word there is agape. The word agape is the most divine dimension of love. It is not love based upon feeling or emotions, love based upon action. Love is patient, love is kind, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so love is about an action. So the most significant need that a wife has in a marriage relationship is to know that she is secure by the love of her husband. And so God says, men, here's your reset button. Whenever you begin to drift in any way in your marriage, your reset button, men, is to go back and press the love button, okay? You've got to love your wives as you love yourself and as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. So you press that button that brings you back to reset. You begin to focus in upon how to love. Now notice chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must, what's the next word there? Respect her husband. So ladies, circle the word respect. Men, you cannot reach over and circle that word for your wives, okay? Respect. So why did he use two different words? It's not that men don't need to be loved. Men do need to be loved. And it's not that women don't need to be respected. Women need to be respected, okay? Of course, absolutely. Valuable for both of those to to work in both dimensions. While the primary need of a wife is love, the primary need of a man is respect, okay? To feel respected. And respect is a sense of being honored, to be valued for who you are and what you do, and to bring some sense of recognition and appreciation for that. And so the Bible says that a wife must respect her husband. So love your wife, husbands, wives, respect your husband. So that's the relationship reset button. So when you begin to drift in marriage, it gives you a sense of what do I need to get back to? What do I need to redo here? Let's go to the kids for a moment. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is continuing in this family theme here and he says in verse number one children now he's talked to the husband he's talked to the wife now he's talking to the kids in a moment he will talk to the parents but he says children obey your parents because you belong to the Lord for this is the right thing to do honor your father and mother this is the first commandment with a promise if you honor your father and mother things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth and so Paul inspired by the spirit of God says here kids here are the relationship rules for you. The relationship rules for you is you need to obey and you need to honor your parents. If you'll obey and honor your parents, then what will happen is you'll be set up for a better life on earth. This is your job, your responsibility while you're under their provision, you're under their tutelage, you're under their care, that you are to respond to them appropriately. And let's go beyond that. You're to honor them for your entire life. 
Now let's go to the parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. So he's talking about the gentleness, the way that we approach our kids as parents, especially he's talking here to fathers, but it certainly applies to fathers and mothers, single parents that may be dealing with this. Don't provoke this. Don't stir up unnecessarily your children to anger by the way you treat them. Let's treat them with love. Treat them properly. Rather, bring them up, notice this, with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Circle those two words there, discipline and instruction. Parents, your primary job as a parent is to provide your children with discipline and what was the other word? Instruction. Okay, think of these as the two wings of an airplane. Discipline is the capacity to help kids develop the habits that they need in their life that will benefit them for their life. Discipline is helping create habits that create character. That's the whole idea because discipline is what creates character. Habits, good habits make good character. And so what you're after in your kids is establishing habit patterns, habitual things that they do the right way. Instruction is related to wisdom, okay? And so the discipline brings character, the instruction brings wisdom. And so let me just remind you as a parent that your primary job Parent, father, mother, single parent, your job is first and foremost not to be best buds with your kids. That's not your job, okay? That's okay to, to, to be buddies with your kids. God wants you to have, more importantly, a loving environment and relationship with your kids. But your primary job as a parent is not to just be all fun and games with your kids. That's not what it's about, okay? What being a parent is about is about imparting character and wisdom to the next generation, amen? And so when your family gets off track, you need to hit the reset button by going back to what God said or the instructions. Let's go to the second thing. How do you relate to leaders? What is a leader? A leader is someone who's an appropriate, legitimate, or official role of giving direction, making decisions, or exercising authority. And God talks to us about our attitudes toward leaders. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authorities rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Romans 13, the latter part of verse 7. And give respect and honor to those who are in authority. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And so when we have leaders in our lives, we're to respond to them God's way. The third category are teachers. In your life, you ought to always have somebody who's teaching you something, amen? You ought to be a student your whole life. You ought to have people that are continuing to teach you, that you look to for instruction. You look to for the gaining of wisdom. A teacher is someone who is in that role, who is imparting instruction or information or advice or inspiration or wisdom to you. And so we need the instruction, the inspiration, the impartation of teachers. We need to be taught. And there's never a time in life that you will mature past the need to be taught. Teaching is a part of life, but how you benefit from teaching is up to you. I mean, Jesus himself could sit here and teach you, and you still not get it. If you don't believe that, read the Gospels. 
There were people around with Jesus when he sat in their midst, and Jesus, the Son of God, who created the world, was there when the world came into being. Here's the wisdom in all of its full dimension there in front of them, and they didn't listen. They didn't pay attention. They didn't get it. Why? Because they didn't have the attitude of a learner. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 23, verse 12? Pay attention to your teacher and learn what all you can. Let's talk about employers and employees. The Bible says something about all these different areas, employers and employees. Employers, I would define here as job providers. Employees are job executors. Listen to what Colossians 3, 23, beginning in verse 23 says. Do your best. He's talking about the work that we do. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master. For God confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. You're an employee. You work for someone. You work for for an agency, an organization, a person. What's your responsibility? What does the Bible say? The Bible says that you're to do your best. You're to work from your heart. You're to work in such a way that it's not for the person you're working for. You're actually working for God. I'm going to show you why this is important. Very important. See, God is interested in us coming and raising our hands and clapping our hands and singing and doing all the things that we do in church. That's awesome. That's fantastic. But it needs to translate into the way you live your life. And part of the way you live your life is the way that you work. God watches how you work. And I love that phrase in the message paraphrase. It says, being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up for bad work. Let me tell you, the best workers ought to be Christians. Amen? We ought to be the best workers of all. We ought to be the greatest, most productive workers because we're not even doing it for people, okay? We're doing it for God, okay? We're doing it as an act of worship. Let's talk about employers, chapter 4, verse 1. And masters, treat your servants considerately, okay? Be fair with them. Don't forget a minute. For a minute that you too serve a master, God in heaven. So he says to those that have the responsibility of providing jobs and job environments, that they have responsibility to be fair and to be considerate and to make sure that they're thinking of themselves in relationship to their relationship with God and doing unto others as they would have them to do to them. And so there's a role and responsibility that goes along both paths. Daniel in the Old Testament was employed under two governmental administrations. He was employed by the king of Babylon. Later on, after Persia conquered Babylon, he was employed by the king of Persia. And so Daniel served two administrations, okay? He served the Babylonian king and the Persian king. The Bible says that in both of those situations, but we'll look here in chapter 6, verse 3. This relates to the Persian rule, I believe it was. The Bible says of Daniel, then then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Notice that phrase. How did Daniel do his job? He did it how? Excellently. There was an excellent spirit in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. And so Daniel was promoted on the basis of the excellent by which he did his job, even though he was serving in both instances, evil and heathen kings. The fifth area is friendships. We need friendships in our life. Friendships is a commitment. Friendships, are we talking here about the people that are the closest to your life, that are there for you? One of the best definitions that I heard for friendship is this, a real friend is someone who shows up in your life when other people walk out of your life. A real friend comes in when everybody else goes out, okay? 
That's a vital dimension because it reflects the commitment of friendship. Read Proverbs 17, verse 17 with me. Let's read together. A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help when? In the time of need. So to be a good friend, you are coming into somebody's world when everybody else is exiting out, and you say, I am there to help you. I'm there to be a part of your life and your world. The last category I want to talk to you about would be fellow believers. It's the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are. All around the world, all over the world, there are other Christian believers who are worshiping and serving the same God that we worship and serve, that are in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you don't know them. You'll only meet them when you get to heaven, but you have a big family all around the world. Isn't that good to know? You have brothers and sisters in the Far East. You have brothers and sisters in the Middle East. You have brothers and sisters in Africa. You have brothers and sisters in South America. You have brothers and sisters in Australia. You have brothers and sisters in Canada, in Mexico, in Central America. You have brothers and sisters all around the world, spiritual family. And you need to care about that family. Not just the family right here. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. You need to care about your family all around the world. You know there are Christians today in places all around the world that are being persecuted for their faith. There are people today right now that are in prison because they claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. There are people that are facing the threat of death in, in various countries around the world. Christian persecution is at the, perhaps the highest it's perhaps ever been in history. And so we have brothers and sisters that are suffering all around the world. Let me ask you a question. If you were suffering under the threat of or in, under the reality of massive persecution, if your life was about to be taken because you're a Christian believer, would you want someone praying for you? Would you? Absolutely. So we need to embrace our big family, okay? We need to be aware of that big family that's out there. It's not, the family's not just right here. We've got a big family all around the world that we need to embrace and love and pray for. That's a part of our responsibility. But we also have the local family, okay? This is called a local church, a family of believers, a local gathering of believers. And we have the opportunity to express and demonstrate our love right here in this family. That's why God wants you to get planted in a family because you can't really show love without being planted. You can't grow relationships without being planted. Nothing can grow until first it's planted, right? There has to be a planting that leads to the growing. One of the things I love about our church and I just love just all the diversity of our church. It's amazing. I was, uh, I was, I've always quoted, actually for the last several years, based upon a little bit of a study that we did a while back, that we had about 85 different nations that were uh, represented in our church. I was recently corrected by my wife who said that someone had done some fresh study on that and thought we had more like 90 or more different nations that are part of our church. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, 90 different nations, right? Let me ask you, how do people from all these different nations, every tribe and tongue and race and, and kindred, how do we get along? I'll tell you how we get along. There's one thing that causes us to get along, that's Jesus. Okay? Because we're learning to practice here on earth what heaven is going to be like. Because around the throne of God, there will be every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all worshiping together. I'm just so thankful to be a part of a church. We get to practice some of that now, right? We get to be a part of that now, that we're part of a family together, okay? But you got to be a part of the family. you got to say, I love my family, okay? I love my family of believers. Why don't you turn to someone right now and say, I'm so glad I'm in the family with you. Go ahead and tell them, I'm glad I'm in the family with you. 
And so we've got some instructions that are given to us in the family believers. What does it say? Romans chapter 12. This is only one passage of many that I could read to you. Verses 9 and 10. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That is, we're to honor one another. You say, well, I'm sure I can honor that brother over there. The point being is that you have to make the choice of saying we're in a family. We're not all perfect. We have some broken parts to our family. All of us are broken in this family, aren't we? Okay. There's not a single one of us that have it all together. If you're perfect here this morning, raise your hand. Go ahead and do it. Okay. The family is never perfect. Any of you in your natural family have a perfect natural family? No. Okay. So the church family isn't perfect. The church family is not always together, but our call is to love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. What does that mean? It means that you get involved. It means that you you become a part of a group. You connect with people around you. You you don't just come in and go out. I mean, there's a season that you can do that, but at some point you want to really get connected and be a part. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word and make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.